Thank you, Stu. I always appreciate your uh, comments and the worship time. I said that while you were gone. <laughs> Good to see each one of you here this morning. Good to be here on this uh, bright, brisk uh, November day. I'm going to begin with some words uh, from uh, Winston Churchill. He was a man who was not short on quick and catchy replies to uh, most anybody, let alone uh, fellow politicians or reporters. And one time he was asked uh, by a reporter, this was at the end of World War II when he was well known as a orator, public speaker, quite well known. So this reporter asked him, said, Mr. Churchill, how long does it take you to prepare a 15-minute message? And Churchill quipped back, two weeks. Well, the reporter, a little bit surprised at the length, said, well, then how long does it take you to prepare a 30-minute message? Just as fast, uh, Churchill replied, one week. Well, the reporter, seeing the uh, difference of what he was thinking it was going to be, and, and fully drawn into uh, Churchill's net by that time, said, well, just one more question, and uh, Mr. Churchill, if you don't mind, please, just uh, pardon me, but how long does it take you to prepare an hour message? And Churchill said, I'm ready now. <laughs> I say that uh, because of a phone call I got from Pastor Len last night about 7.30 or so, uh, where he said that uh, he's not feeling well. So I said, well, that's, that's too bad. I'm sorry. I hope you get better quickly. Uh, uh, what else is happening? He said, no, Mike, I really am not feeling very well. And then it began to dawn to commence upon me that, uh, of what he was getting at. Not long after that, Kathleen got a call as well from uh, Karen, said that uh, she also would not be in church this morning, and that meant she was going to be playing. And, uh, we both would prefer uh, a little bit of heads-up time here on that. So if you're watching, Len or Karen, we do trust that, uh, that you are getting better. We look forward to having you back. Uh, some of you who have been visiting here have heard about Pastor Len. Uh, he really does exist. His wife, Karen, and they... We'll be coming back. Uh, but as far as the sermon this morning goes, uh, I'm ready now. <laughs> and if Winston Churchill's adage is universal, you folks are in for a very long sermon. So let's get started. Uh, much of life is predictable. Uh, the seasons come and go, the sun rises and sets, uh, babies are born and they grow up and there we get middle aged and old people pass on. Uh, summers, uh, July in North Idaho is usually hot, November, December cold. Some things are predictable. Some friends encourage us, some friends disappoint us, unfortunately. More people from California are going to be moving in. Some things are predictable. Politicians don't always tell the truth. Life. Uh, is often predictable, uh, expected. Uh, go, that's the way life is. But every once in a while, every once in a while, something happens that is totally unexpected. We just never thought we would either see something or experience something just quite like that. It's uh, out of the ordinary. Uh, something like uh, uh, Kathleen seeing a cougar right outside the front door. Our front door is just a big a door with a huge window on it, and I'm seeing a cougar right, out, right outside, I mean right outside, at the door, licking the window. Unexpected. 
not predictable. Or seeing, have you ever seen a uh, three-tiered three uh, rainbow? I've seen a double rainbow. I've also seen a three-tiered rainbow. Have you ever seen one of them? Absolutely amazing it was. Or uh, perhaps if a rich, you know, long-lost uncle were to leave an inheritance to you of uh, half a million dollars. Unexpected. Well, every once in a while something comes along that's totally unexpected, and that's exactly what happens at the end of this story of the life of Joseph that we're going to be picking up on here. Last week we looked at the a few lessons from the life of Joseph, and we're going to pick up on that. Because I decided last night about 8 o'clock not to dig into the file, as if there was a file that's very much there, and, you know, dig up another sermon. I decided not to do that, but instead, because about the middle of this last week, I thought, man, there's, there's so much in that story of Joseph that it'd be nice just to go back and just uh, touch on a few more things. Little did I know that that would come true, and I would, uh, but I hadn't put it together. So last night I just uh, read through the story and came up with some, uh, some thoughts here. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Something that really unexpected that happens in this story of Joseph near the end. So will you please stand with me as we read our scriptural reading from Genesis chapter 49. Please stand as we read Genesis 49 verses 9 to 12. Genesis 49, verses 9 to 12. This is from the English Standard Version. This is Jude, uh, Jacob giving Judah a blessing. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine, and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth are whiter than milk. Please be seated. So as I mentioned, this message really builds on last week's message. Uh, I thought it was going to be a, just like a mini-series of one, uh, so it was titled uh, Lessons from the Life of Joseph. If I knew then what I know now, I would call it a mini-series, Lessons in the Life of Joseph. And that first one, last week, would have been called uh, something about a square inch, every square inch, because we talked about that a fair bit last, uh, last Sunday. And this week's uh, sermon would be called, Why Me, Lord, What Have I Ever Done? So just a review, real quick review for those of you who uh, weren't here last Sunday, and perhaps even for you folks who were here last Sunday. Uh, we looked at, <laughs> we looked at uh, uh, Joseph's life from 30,000 feet, a flyover, obviously, because uh, it takes up, uh, what is it, I think eight chapters or... Uh, plus, so it's the it's the largest story of uh, Genesis. It's the largest story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph takes up far more uh, uh, space than any of those. So we looked at uh, Joseph's life, and we saw. Remember, uh, we were talking about God being sovereign, God being sovereign over every square inch. Taking off on a, a quote from Abraham Kuyper, uh, a Dutch uh, politician and theologian where he said, God is sovereign over, Christ is sovereign over every square inch of the universe. 
we saw that God was sovereign over every square inch of Joseph's life, even to the point of location where God orchestrated things, where Joseph, who was supposed to go up to Shechem and check on his brother, and they're watching his daddy's sheep, but uh, when he goes up there, he can't find them because the brothers, on their own, decided that they would go the, what was it, 10, 15 miles further from Shechem up to Dothan. So Joseph uh, couldn't find him in Shechem, but uh, somebody told him, hey, yeah, I heard your brother's talking there up at Dothan. And we saw there that Dothan is on an international trade route where traders from the north come down, bring their spices and goods and essential oils and figs and stuff like that there, uh, down through the Promised Land and uh, down to Egypt. It's a, it's a very busy town, and that is where God... Uh, brought the brothers and Joseph so that he could be sold to these traders that are going to Egypt. That's how the story unfolds. God is sovereign over location. Everybody's location, by the way. Then we saw that he's uh, sovereign over situations. That whole situation with uh, Potiphar's wife and uh, Potiphar, the uh, captain of the guard, and all that happened there. And in that uh, honor-shame culture where... When Potiphar found out what had happened, as we saw from the text, I believe, that it's just as likely that Potiphar was angry at his wife rather than angry at Joseph. So uh, Potiphar put Joseph in prison where he could then meet the butler and the baker later on, and then he could be uh, elevated uh, to where he would talk with the pharaoh. He's sovereign over situations. Then we saw a little... A little tidbit of a, just a scene, well, not even big enough to qualify as an episode, but a scene where uh, the, now Joseph is in, uh, second in command of the Pharaoh, and he's uh, seen his brothers once. They've come up from, each, uh, from the promised land, and then they've gone back. Now they come back a second time, and Joseph puts a banquet on for them, and it says there in the text that the Egyptians ate at one table, and... Joseph had another, and his brothers had another. And the reason they did that is because the Egyptians would not uh, ever eat at the same table as Hebrew, because the Egyptians were a very uh, nationalistic uh, nation at that particular time, and they didn't want any intermarriage with, with anybody, particularly uh, a bunch of uh, renegade Hebrews. So they put these Hebrew people in the land of Goshen, and that's where God orchestrated all that, so that these 70 people, these 70 Hebrew people, could flourish over the next 400 years into millions of people. What did they figure? Maybe around 6 million people left uh, Egypt when they went off into the uh, desert there under the direction of Moses. So that's, that's a review. And now this week we're going to uh, talk a little bit more about that story. And uh, this is why me, Lord, what have I ever done? So before we get into the passage and the message, I have a confession to make about our, the scriptures that we read. They're the ones, uh, the uh, prophecy or the blessing on Judah. I must, I must admit, and please don't think too ill of me here, but uh, I have a confession to make that when I read this portion of Genesis, particularly that whole chapter 49, it's a little bit like, to me, just being honest, it's a little bit like reading genealogies. It's just I don't get ex I have not got excited about reading uh, these kind of blessing things. It just it doesn't seem all that interesting. I sort of lose, uh, get away from the story. Uh, yeah. 
particularly here where, where Jacob is blessing his sons, and it, it's in really poetic words. If you look at all of that, chapter 49, uh, just, just looking at a little bit, if you want to have your finger in there, where Jacob blesses his sons, all of, all of them, uh, in words like, unstable as water, that's Reuben, and in their willingness they hamstrung oxen, that's kind of a strange thing, that's regarding Simeon and Levi, and his teeth are whiter than milk, yeah, that's Judah. On and on it goes. Issachar is a wild donkey. Dan is a serpent in the way. Asher's food shall be rich. Naphtali is a doe let loose. Joseph is a fruitful bough. And Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. Well, I, I tend to not get a whole lot out of that, uh, my confession. I tend to drift from the story, be less interested, uh, less engaged. I tend to, I tend to think... It's not all that important. Uh, and that is a mistake. In the case of these blessings given by Jacob, it's a very big mistake. Today's message outline is pretty simple. Uh, we're going to look at the context of these blessings. Then we're going to look at the blessings. And then we're going to look at the finale of the story. So it's context, blessings, and finale. Here's the context. Uh, we're going to pick that story up back in chapter 41. So if you want to follow along with, uh, you, you certainly won't do. If you want to just listen, that's, that's fine as well. But back in chapter 41, there we read of Joseph's uh, unexpected rise to power. Like really unexpected. Here he is, a Hebrew, a Hebrew slave. A Hebrew slave who was accused of getting a little bit too close to an Egyptian official's wife. He's fresh out of prison. And now he's made second in command to the Pharaoh of, in the land of Egypt. Talk about unexpected. Not what we would have predicted. Astonishingly unforeseen. It's kind of an Abraham Lincoln kind of a story, is it not? From the little log cabin in Indiana to a large white house in Washington, D.C. From uh, split logs to a split nation. It's that epic rags to riches kind of a story. So we read in verses 42 to 41 of chapter, or 42 to 44 of chapter 41, Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, and put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. So at this juncture in the story, we might be reading it. We might read into it that, ah, Joseph's the man. We've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. That's going to be the line, this promised line. This Messiah is going to come through that line. That's what, that's what it's building up to be. I think that's how most of us would read it if we haven't ever read the story before. That's the direction it appears to be headed. Eh? Glad you agree. And it falls in line with the main characters of, this, of the story. So here's Joseph. He's been consistently faithful to God. Uh, he was maintained his integrity with that whole Potiphar's wife ordeal, and he worked diligently whether he was in a palace or whether he was in prison. He's a rising star. He's a prime candidate for being one in the genealogy of that line leading up to the Messiah, that fulfilling the promise to Abraham, to Adam, where he first met Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. 
Yeah, I think that's what we would be thinking if we never had heard the story before. Joseph's the man. Let's jump to chapter 48, where we see Jacob is about to die. Chapter 48, verses 27 and 29 say this. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly, I should say, from 70 to say, 6 or 7 million, 400 years. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel, that is Jacob, must die, he called his son Joseph. This is an interesting note here. This is a side note, bunny trail. Uh, but as I was just reading that last night again, where it says that uh, 17 years that uh, Jacob was in the back in the land and that he knew Joseph then for 17 years, the last of his life. Interesting that uh, uh, Jacob also knew Joseph the first 17 years of Joseph's life because Joseph was 17 when he got sold to the uh, traders coming down from the north. 17 years there, 17 years at the end, and uh, I think there's about 40 years or 30 years in between. Just uh, interesting symmetry in the story. Uh, so but back to back to Jacob on his deathbed, and he calls for uh, his son Joseph. So on his deathbed, I know like some of you, uh, perhaps uh, most of you, you have been uh, at the deathbed of a number of people. You've you've sat there, most likely. I'm assuming some of you have anyway. Uh, I would submit to you that that's time to listen to what those people have to say, should they be able to still communicate. Personal story, Kathleen's uncle, Uncle Jim, he was a quadriplegic, born that way. Doctors pulled him out, and when they pulled him out, he broke his spinal cord, and he did not, well, he could use his hands and feet a little bit, but he never walked, never ran, never played baseball, never swam. Hands were funny, had a big head, he was not pleasant to look at. He was always in a, uh, he didn't even have a wheelchair, it was a homemade kind of a, oaky kind of a thing of a rocking chair set inside some wheels and that uh, is how his sister moved him around all of his life. He to be about 60 years old. He was a wonderful man. He was a gunsmith. He could move a file and so he made guns. Uh, and you know, when Kathleen was growing up, she was the one who uh, was the uh, was his shooter. Hey, Kathleen, I, I finished this one. Did you shoot this? So Kathleen grew up shooting more calibers than I even knew existed. And I'm from Montana. Uh, but we got word that Uncle Jim was dying. We lived in Kamloops, B.C., and he was down here in Sandpoint, Idaho. And we came down here. He was in the hospital, and his days were numbered. The evening, uh, family were around in the hospital room. Uh, Uncle Jim was laying there. And it came a time that uh, we had to leave the hospital room because it was nighttime. So, but the nurse did say, one of you can stay here with uh, your uncle and take care of him tonight if you want to. So I raised my hand right away, because uh, Uncle Jim was just a really interesting fellow. Uh, never went to school, but he was extremely smart. And he had the ability to kind of see through people in ways that most of us don't want to be seen through. Sort of sizing people up that made that most of us feel uncomfortable. And just a, a great man to talk with. So I, I said, yeah, I'll, please, can I stay with him? And they, 
They said, yeah, even though you're not blood related, you can do that. They went home. I'm sitting there with Uncle Jim. Uh, he's in the bed. I'll tell you too much, uh, about three o'clock in the morning, uh, well, I, every once in a while I'd have to go over and move Uncle Jim because of his bed sores and that, so roll him a little bit. Three o'clock in the morning, he said, right. <clears throat> he said, uh, uh, you have any ice cream? I said, no, I don't have any ice cream. He said, could you see if they have any ice cream here in the hospital? I said, yeah, okay. So I went out and I woke up the nurse who was at the desk and said, you have any ice cream? She said, yeah. Yeah, you go get it. It's back there in the nurse's station in the freezer there. We'll get those little Dixie cups with those wooden spoons that make your teeth feel funny. Take, take as many as you want. So I got a couple and uh, right down to Uncle Jim and uh, I ate mine and I had to feed Uncle Jim because he can't feed himself. And uh, uh, after he got anything, he said, Mike, we're celebrating. Talking with Uncle Jim was a little bit like talking with, with a number of Native people. Uh, he just kind of lets things sink in, a fair bit of quiet time, see where he's going. He said, yeah, okay, we're celebrating. What are we celebrating, Uncle Jim? He said, oh, you didn't hear it? He's playing with me. I said, no, I didn't hear anything, Uncle Jim. He said, I heard it. What'd you hear, Uncle Jim? I heard the welcome wagon. He knew exactly what he was saying. He knew exactly what he was communicating to me. He knew that he was on his deathbed and he knew he was going to die and he knew where he was going because he was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and he was looking forward to that welcome wagon calling him home. Next morning, <laughs> Kathleen, stop it right now. The next morning, uh, Kathleen and our two boys are there at his bed and he is dying now to just barely breathe. Sunday morning, down the hall of this hospital, uh, in some room, uh, this fella came in with a big baritone voice and an accordion and was singing uh, hymns. It was absolutely uh, astounding, wonderful, surreal almost. And when that man started singing, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, Uncle Jim called me over to him, I read that, and he said, thank you. And he passed away. Incredible. The last words. You want to listen to those last words. Jacob was on his deathbed. That's something final to say to Joseph. important words, like really important. That's the context. Here's the blessings. Now to be clear, I'm not going to do an exegesis of uh, all of the blessings. Uh, first of all, I didn't have time to do that. <laughs> but uh, second, I don't, I don't know that that's really what we want to do for this particular message. We just want to look at the major points and the highlights of the first four blessings is all and uh, see what we get from that. So a pretty, pretty quick uh, look at these, another flyover. Blessing number one is on the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. And the thing we want to note here, the main thing here, is that Jacob, he's formally adopting the two sons of Joseph. These are two half-breeds. They're half-Hebrew and they're half-Egyptians, and they're being inducted, they're being adopted into the uh, tribes of Judah, 
the 12 tribes. No small thing. Not a small thing. It's not a slight on Joseph. Joseph wasn't going to be uh, one of the 12 tribes, but his two sons were. Uh, remember last week we talked about uh, the Egyptians being uh, Egyptian, uh, a uh, honor, honor shame kind of a culture. Well, the Hebrew people were the same. Most Eastern cultures are those honor-shame kind of cultures. So here, even though we might think, well, well, maybe Joseph would be a bit slighted that he's not, he's not going to be included in the uh, blessing that's given to him. He's not, he's not one of the twelve. There's no tribe of Joseph, but there is a tribe of the, his two children, and that would be a great honor in that culture to seeing your sons carry on that thing. So it was a. It was a good thing for Joseph as well. A double honor, really. Notice verse uh, 48, or chapter 48, verse 16. Chapter 48, we're still in that chapter. Jacob says, it's an interesting uh, terminology, bless the boys. Man, I think that right there, there's a title for something. I don't know, a book or a... Bless the boys. Talking about Ephraim and Manasseh. And in them, let my name be carried on. So, uh, that's the first blessing on the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh. Second blessing, Reuben. That's in uh, chapter uh, 49, verse 4. Uh, this blessing doesn't go so well. Really, it's more of a curse than a blessing. Uh, he's the one who's unstable as water. goes on to say, shall have no prominence. Whoa. That curse uh, has something to do with no, it has everything to do with an incident that happened earlier in life. And we pick that up in chapter 35, verse 22. I'll just read the, that. It's just one verse uh, that will flesh out the story uh, where we read. While Israel, that is Jacob, lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. A prime example of how often... Life choices have life consequences. That's the second blessing. Third one, again, just real quickly, on Simeon and Levi. Again, this blessing doesn't go so well. It says, these are violent men, and their descendants will be scattered throughout the nation and eventually dissolved. Okay, now we're on the fourth one, our final one. We're just going to look at these first four. Uh, so far, uh, Jacob's so-called blessings are not, not going so well. Two out of the first three are curses. And now... Judah is up. It's his turn. Uh, before, before anybody have ever read this story, or before you ever heard this story and knew how it ended, you might be thinking at this point, this is not going to be uh, too good for Judah either. Because remember that whole chapter 38 thing that we talked about last week, kind of a, a chapter in the middle of the story of Joseph where it just, all of a sudden you've got this uh, story of Judah in there that not a, it's not a pretty picture of what Judah does. Judah, in that chapter, if you remember, uh, slept with his son's wife, uh, who he thought was a prostitute, and then uh, instead of uh, burning her at the stake at the last minute, he realized, because she came forward with some proof, that the child she was carrying was his. Wow. That all happened in chapter 38. So, we're probably thinking, I would be thinking, okay, here we go. Here comes another one. How would we think this blessing is going to go? Based on the narrative thus far, I would say not, not so good. 
Here's, here's where the, there's a real uh, twist in the story, a kicker, uh, something that's utterly and completely unexpected. It's pivotal to the story of the, all of Scripture as well. It's startling. It's really quite amazing. The line of which we're going to get the Savior of the world, the line through which the people of Israel were looking to have this Savior that would save them from their sin and save them as a nation, would not come through Joseph. Joseph doesn't get that kind of a blessing. And it doesn't come through his two sons. And it doesn't come from Reuben, who's the oldest. Sometimes uh, God chose the oldest. It doesn't come from Benjamin, who's the youngest. We know sometimes God chose the youngest. It doesn't come from the second and the third oldest. Reuben and Levi, it doesn't come through them. It's going to come through Judah, the fourth. That promise given way back there in Genesis chapter 3.15 to Adam and then to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob of this promised seed that would come, that would save his people from their sin. It's going to come through Judah. Verse 8 of chapter 49 says, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. I think we need to linger at this part of the story. Maybe not this morning. But we need to linger on this part of the story. It's a huge moment in the unfolding story of the Bible. The coming Messiah, the promised Christ, would be the line of the tribe of Judah. And Judah does not deserve this honor. Not in any way whatsoever. This is not a time to drift from the story. It's not a time to be less interested, like I was, to be less engaged, to think that this blessing stuff, this genealogy stuff, is really not all that important. That would be a mistake. That would be a very big mistake. I think that when the Hebrew people first heard this writing of Moses, as Moses gave them the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they got to this part of the story. First time they heard it, they said, Oh, that's... That's why it's the way it is. That's where these 12 tribes came from. That's why Ephraim and Manasseh are part of this. That's why, that's who it's going to come through. It's going to come through the tribe of Judah. Unexpected. Not what they thought was going to happen. Not at all. Our third big point, the finale. Here we move on to the, the end of the story of Joseph, really. Chapter 50, verses 19 and 20, and you've probably heard this. Every time you've heard a message on the life of Joseph, I'm sure you heard at the end, this is what it comes down to. Chapter 50, verses 19 and 20. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. None of the events in Joseph's lives were by accident. His brothers meant him harm. But here we are told that God meant it for good. Notice Joseph doesn't say that God meant it for my good. doesn't say that. Joseph says they meant it for the good of the people. It is for the good of the people, for the Egyptian people, for the Hebrew people, for all people. God is sovereign over every square inch of Joseph's life, 
of your life, of my life. And God's grace, as exemplified in this story of Judah, sort of in the middle of this story, is, is astonishing, catches us by surprise. Look at the genealogies, uh, coming up Christmas time, look at the genealogy, genealogies in Matthew and Luke. Judah. The man who slept with his son's wife and was going to have her killed. And I wonder what Judah thought when he heard what, the, what his father had said in this blessing at his deathbed. I wonder what he thought when he heard that from Joseph's lips. What would he have thought? Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I thought that's probably what would happen. No, I don't think so. I think it'd be more something like, why me, Lord? What have I ever done? Me? Promised Messiah is going to be a line of the tribe of me? Joseph, could you go back and check with him to see if that's what he really meant? God's grace is not only something that's magnificent and grand, marvelous, but it's also something at times that's unexpected. In fact, the only reason that we should expect grace from God is because of who He is and what His nature is. If that's what we're focused on, then grace is predictable. But if we're focusing on who we are and our nature, grace is, grace is unpredictable. Who? Why? Why me? But the Bible tells us, does it not? For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. In that same chapter in Ephesians, he tells us, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And even as chosen ones, there's a lot to face in life. It's not all roses. There may even be cases when, as in the life of Joseph, uh, people might mean you harm. It's possible. But God means it for good. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to the, His purpose. And it might not just be our good, it might be our children's, our grandchildren's, our neighbors, our friends. It might be for their good as well. Much of life is predictable. We talked about that at the beginning. Seasons come and go, babies are born, they grow up, there's midlife, old people pass on, the sun comes up, sun goes down. It's hot in July in northern Idaho, it's cold about this time of year in north Idaho. Uh, friends encourage us, some friends disappoint us. More people from California will be moving in. And politicians don't always tell the truth. In this whole story of Joseph, with this Judah twist in it, there's something in this world that is predictable, and that is God's grace based upon who He is. There's also something in this world that's unpredictable about God's grace, 
and that's who he chooses and why. Imagine, just linger here for a minute. As we sit here today, you're a child of God, he has chosen you before the foundation of the world. And you're no better than Judah. But it's the same grace that chose Judah that's, and, and blessed him as that same grace that chooses us and blesses us. It's the same grace and it's the same God. And it's unexpected from our point of view. I never thought he would choose. I better not go there. <laughs> wow, it's amazing. <clears throat> So may we never, ever forget this grace. Never take it for granted. As though somehow we deserve this honor. As somehow we're a little bit better than somebody that we think is a little bit worse. This unexpected and undeserved gift. Jacob blessed Judah. God blesses us through Christ. Grace Grace, marvelous grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Let's pray. Father, this uh, story of Joseph, along with the inserted Judah episode, has reminded us of who you are, a sovereign God, sovereign over every square inch of planet Earth, and full of amazing grace. Help us to rest in that grace, to continue to marvel in that grace, and to be ambassadors of that grace. Amen.